0: Miles Garrett, the Browns' pass rusher, involved in a single-car accident yesterday. Statement from his agent, Nicole Lynn. Miles Garrett was involved in a one-car accident this afternoon and was transported to a local hospital to be medically evaluated. While we were waiting to learn the extent of his injuries, he has been alert and responsive. The Garrett family would like to thank the medical personnel that got Miles and his passenger out of the vehicle and safely transported to the hospital. There's a report this morning from NFL Network that he's been released from the hospital He swerved to avoid an animal on a wet road, overcorrected, lost control. The car, Porsche 911, is a mess. And it just shows you how the safety features of modern automobiles have improved to the point where he's got no broken bones. Now, they're still monitoring and they're still evaluating him, but to walk away from that when you see that car especially when you consider how large of a man he yeah, is right. in a car that small relative to other cars. Amazing. Amazing. And it could have been a lot worse. And hey, hey, look. Um, I love animals. But my attitude is the moment that animal's out in the middle of that road, it's already dead. It's just a question of when and how it's going to die. and And if it lives, but for the grace of God, it lives because you can't you can't. You, and I know the human reaction is to try to not hit it, but you get yourself into a bad spot and it's, you're making decisions like that. But I've been in that spot. I had a deer right in front of me one time. It's like, what can I do? I'm not, I can't swerve to miss this thing. Yeah. You just got to hit it. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's a tough, tough thing. And I, I feel for Miles Garrett because you, you're trying to do, you're trying to do the human thing. Right. I and the care. humane thing right. and not hit the animal. And, and it's, and, and, and things can get out of control very quickly, especially because it was raining um so the road's a little slick and and it's it's just it's just you know as i anytime i drive especially this time of year because the deer are very active here this you know september october you, you just never know when that moment's going to happen where you've got and you've always got to kind of have that actively in your brain here it comes here it comes any moment where are the deer because uh, you know wh- what do you do there is no there is no manual for how to properly handle a situation like that.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. It, it's a tough one. I mean, it's, it's uh, we we all try to do our best, but you're right. There's no, there's a certain point where you go, well, wait, I can't like just you know jerk the steering wheel and and like do a, a a power slide here in the middle of the road. You know, yeah, we all try to give our little like, oh man, I I hope that squirrel somehow weaves underneath the tires and I don't get them. I don't know, I mean, you do you do your best. So that's a scary situation. It really is. And when you think about Miles Garrett. The freak of nature that he is, how big he is in that Porsche. One, you just go, wow, that seems like he'd be crammed in there like Fred Flintstone almost to a degree. But then when you hear a car flipped multiple times, I mean, that's just, that's scary. It's scary, let alone it's scary from the football standpoint Of we know how good he is and how important he is to their football team right now. So I'm just glad he's okay, you know, and uh, hopefully we'll see him back on the football field, you know, sooner rather than later.
0: Nothing is broken. Is what Nicola said last night to Mary Amazing. Kay Cabot at the Cleveland Plain Dealer, alert and responsive, but, but for something like that. And and look, anybody that's been in any type of a car accident knows that adrenaline kicks in when it happens. The next morning, yeah, right. It's usually Feel it's like usually you got in a car worse. wreck. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's rarely better. It's rarely better the morning after. So there may be some some stuff there, and it's it's just very fortunate that it worked out well. And again, just to be clear. When when you're in that spot, what do you do? And you have to make that decision. We were talking in the last segment about the decision a defensive player has to make on you know when to pull. I mean, you, you are you are making lightning fast decisions to the point where you're not even consciously making them. It is all instinct and reaction. And and who knows? Who knows uh, how it's ever going to play out in a situation like that? But but good news. From a human standpoint, he'll be fine. Football standpoint, secondary, we'll see when he's able to come back and play. But that was one of those things. It just kind of happened. Yesterday, he was at the facility. Uh, The Browns played, obviously, on Thursday night against the Steelers. And uh, as he was was leaving or at some point later in the day, this is what occurred. And uh, fortunately, everything's fine. And I was frustrated yesterday when the reports started to come out because some of the reports were minor injuries. Other reports said non-life-threatening injuries, and it's like, folks, there's a big difference between minor and non-life-threatening. There's a lot of injuries that fall in that range, so it was something I kept paying attention to. It's like, you know, he could have been... I mean, you could be seriously injured, and you're not going to die, Right. but you can still have some pretty serious injuries, That's so... Right. Um, I, so it was something that obviously we monitored. I mean, we, we were concerned and want to make sure he's okay and want to keep people informed. A lot of a lot of fans of all teams, uh, Browns and any other team, I mean, they see something like this, and they, they're concerned that everything's fine. And by the end of the night, we found out that everything was fine. It's not fine for Mac Jones, oh. and this isn't a surprise. We saw the photos. He was in agony he was, as he was being carried to the locker room on Sunday after suffering the ankle injury late in the loss to the Baltimore Ravens he likely will miss multiple games with a severe high ankle sprain. Here he is from Monday saying what you would expect a Patriots player to say about his overall health condition at any given time.
2: Yeah, I'm just kind of taking it day to day and uh, making sure everything's good. And honestly, any injury questions are Coach Belichick's thing. So I'm not here to answer them. I appreciate everyone kind of reaching out and and looking after me, but it's kind of just a day to day thing. And I'm just trying to get better.
0: Yeah, Bill Belichick's attitude is this. It's not your job to talk about your health and well-being. It's my job to not talk about your health and well-being because that's what happened on Sunday when he was asked about it. He said, nothing, Chris. I mean, that's just the way they are. That's part of this military strategic secrecy. You don't want your opponents to ever know anything about who's injured, how badly they're injured, what's injured. Could you imagine if there wasn't an injury report requirement we would know nothing about anyone Definitely in not. the Patriots organization or any other team for that matter but the Patriots would protect it even more and and I you know on Sundays when we're doing our thing getting ready for football night in America and there are injuries and I have people that I try to track down to get the information some are easier than others. Oh, no, I was and when it's the Patriots. Right. For, you
1: almost want to say, good, forget it. Right? Good luck.
0: Right. Good luck. Although, although I was able and, and some of the information did get out on Sunday night and I was able to get some of it. But it's a it's a lot harder to get information on their players in that heat of the moment. Sure. Late afternoon Sunday. Who's injured? How injured are they? It's easier for others uh, and for the Patriots. It's it's virtually impossible, especially when you're on the record in a press conference. Yeah,
1: right. They're all scared. And for the most part, they know, you know how it goes down in New England, to, to your point. Uh, they're they're, they're going to stay in their lane. And in their lane in, in New England, it's just you know basically shut up and play football. And then we'll take care of the rest. We'll talk about injuries. We'll talk about rah-rah. We'll talk about who's doing good on the football team. We'll talk about... You know, contract situations. They don't want players ever crossing that line. They don't. It's it's, you know, tactical warfare for for lesser for, for lack of a better way to say it. But uh it seems it's it's good that he's in good spirits, especially after seeing you know the agony he was in, like you talked about on Sunday. I mean, it was like real agony. The fact of how he hobbled off the 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 field, but I mean, the faces and the video clips you saw of him being carried down the stairwell there behind the bench. You know, that that's where you just you don't see players like that, where they're screaming in agony as they're being. This, this is the picture I was talking about. Yeah, I mean, you just you don't see that a whole lot. I mean, he was an obvious pain there. So it's a big setback for a team that's finding their way on the offensive side of the ball. You know, Mac Jones is a pretty damn good quarterback. His ability to make plays and throws into tight windows and all that for a team that's not all that explosive on that side of the ball – that's it, it, it's, it's going to hurt them. So they're going to have to have like a Dallas Cowboy-like effort here. The rest of the team's going to have to rally around Brian Hoyer and company here and see where it goes. But uh, it's, it's not going to be easy for this football team. We know their offense wasn't all that great to begin
0: with. I will say this, too, and I'm not trying to make light of his injury because it is a serious condition. He was obviously, as we saw from that photo, in agony. But as the people in our business try to get ahead of the curve and add to the story, I thought it was mildly humorous when – The reports were out there that the x-rays were negative. Then the reports are they're concerned that there's ligament or tendon damage in the ankle. Well, yeah, there ain't much else there. I mean, his foot wasn't set on fire. So, I mean, unless it's the ankle broken, which we know it isn't, of course, that's really all that it can be in that area of the body. If the bone is fine, it's ligaments or its tendons and the high ankle sprain obviously is the one that keeps a guy out even longer. And now Chris, you got Bill Belichick having to choose between Brian Hoyer and Bailey Zappi. I mean, under the depth chart, next man up is Brian Hoyer. Let's have a listen to yeah, Bill Belichick. Not that you're going to get anything out of it other than maybe, maybe a, a little bit of a smile on a Tuesday morning. Here's Belichick on what both Hoyer and Zappi bring to the offense. Bill,
2: what does Brian Hoyer bring to the
1: offense? Yeah, brown has got a lot of experience in the offense.
0: And how would you describe Bailey Zappi's um, progress since the time he was drafted to where we are now? He's gotten a lot better.
1: Oh
0: my gosh. Uh Yeah, so... Uh, what you was know, he doing? Was that uh, his
1: fingers or the chair making that noise as he was going back and forth like he was... Uh... Uh, like an impatient teenager sitting there waiting to get out of like homeroom class or get out of school there
0: (laughs) and and look he's not that way all the time so i've heard i've never personally experienced but that is our window to bill belichick and how he interacts with the world and and this all gets back to what we were talking about earlier you don't show anything you don't give anything He, he grew up literally on the grounds of the Naval Academy. His dad was a scout for a long time with the football team there. He's had that military secrecy, that mindset drilled into him, and that's how he approaches it. And, and that's how you, you have success. You I show know. nothing. It's yeah. poker face all the time. And we do get a kick out of it because you don't have to be that way. I mean, everybody's got their own poker face, but, but there are different ways that you can conceal your true intentions and still come off as a normal human being. It is possible. Yeah. Other coaches have accomplished
1: that. They have. You're right. They, they, they have figured that out. Certainly, it is it, it's, it's just weird. It's just, it just makes you uncomfortable at times. I I'm not arguing with you know the overall tactic of it, but yeah, you're right. You don't have to take that approach. I don't. I don't understand that ever. I don't. I really don't. But going to be interesting to see. You know, wait. Two things here, Mike. One. Before we talk about who they should play or Hoyer, because I do think it should be clearly Hoyer. I'm just going to state that Bailey Zappi. I know they like him, what he did, and they're they're excited. The preseason wasn't all that impressive from Bailey Zappi. I mean, yes, he knows how to run an offense. He threw the ball nine million times a year, you know, coming in college, and and has that experience. But I don't think by any stretch of the imagination that he'd do anything to where I would be thinking about playing him over Brian Hoyer. At least not yet. So. I'll be shocked if they don't go that direction. Second thing, Mike, um, I didn't love the tackle by Calais Campbell on that play. I thought it was, like, borderline dirty. You know, the fact that, and I don't know if we could show it one more time, especially the, you know, the angle of where we see it from behind, but, you know, I, I kind of has a chance to hit him square, doesn't hit him square, kind of does the dead weight thing if we see the replay here in a second, and kind of just dead weights him and falls on his ankle. And I didn't love that altogether. I really didn't. I, I didn't think it was really necessary. Actually, in the moment, especially for a big human like Clay's Campbell. Here you go. You see it a little, like, kind of just holds on, right? And then dead weights it on that Oof. left leg. Yeah, yeah, that's that's where I didn't love that from Clay's Campbell, who, who I think knows better than than that, right there.
0: And and uh, we we both know him. I, he doesn't seem like no. The kind he's of guy not the kind of guy, that guy that's that's trying that's to be try dirty, to injure right? someone. But and and this gets back to something I say all the time. In that scrum of bodies, at every level of football, it is amazing that ankles aren't sprained, legs aren't broken all the time. Like, how many times do you see that close call where the leg just moves at the last second or it's getting caved in by some huge body that's going to roll into it and shatter the bones? It really is amazing it doesn't happen more often, and it is inevitable that those moments occur. So. The Patriots go forward, presumably with Brian Hoyer. But remember the last time that I remember him in a big spot was the Cam Newton COVID game against the Chiefs. That's right. And the Patriots were Ugh. giving Kansas City everything they could handle. And then Hoyer made some, Dun- he some, made some brain really fart.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah, right. There was a there was I think there was a few mistakes, but one
0: where what did he? I can't even remember what he did. Like he called a timeout when they didn't have timeouts or right. something like that. He that did some bad that, turnovers too. Yeah, that, 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 that defies the kind of discipline right. and clear-headed thought that Bill Belichick demands from his players. But he's still there. He's been there forever, and he's been a bunch of other places too. He's like Josh McCown, who keeps coming back to the same nest, <laughs> like. I'll go here for a while and I'll come back to the Patriots. I'll go play and I'll come back to the Patriots. I'll try that. I'll come back to the Patriots. He's 36 years old and he's been with the Patriots, I think more often than not, but he's played for the Browns. He's played for the Texans. He's, I mean, and he's played. I know played. He's not, he's not a bad quarterback. He's had some good moments. 49ers. The question is at this point, what can he really do uh, for the Patriots or for anyone, but he'll be thrust into service and, uh, I I I can't imagine Mac Jones not missing a few games, Chris.
1: I'm with you there. I, I would think it's you, you said it before. High ankle sprain is very difficult to deal with. You know, it, it can take a, clearly a month, at least three weeks. I, I don't expect to see him at least in the next two weeks. Green Bay, Detroit. You know, maybe October 16th when they play Cleveland. Maybe he's got a chance to make it back by then. Uh, but I certainly don't expect to see him anytime. You know, here in the near future, I don't. And it's going to be interesting because. Hey, they're they're on the ropes here, certainly. You know, they were kind of going toe-to-toe with Baltimore. There was a lot to like there. Mac Jones did not play a good game. I mean, his turnovers were bad. The game was 31-26, and they were on the 9-yard line or 8-yard line going in, and he got pressure and threw the ball up in the air off his back foot and that really changed the football game to where they, you felt like, hey, they're, they're still in this. And even if they have to settle for a field goal there and be down 31-29, okay, we'll see where it goes. Uh, but, yeah, that's going to leave a bad taste in Mac Jones' mouth until he gets back healthy and can erase that with a, with a good game.
0: Some bad taste left in the mouths of some people who made some bad decisions over the weekend. The regret meter. We'll look at some of the calls that didn't work out from week two of the 2022 regular season when PFT Live presented by Google Pixel continues right after this. Four weeks after I said, Manhattan, it's been nice knowing you, I will never, ever go back. I am back again. They can't pay me enough money to (laughs) ever go back to New York City. I am back again. So, much like the number of licks it takes to get to the Tootsie Roll Center of a Tootsie Pop, Miles, which is three, if you're familiar with that commercial, for me, never means four weeks. Well done. Well done. You
1: were so heated with that original never. Like, you were heated when you said that, too. I I always know when you're really mad and angry, there's never, and your eyes get wide, and there's like almost this gloss that goes in the eye, too, of just anger, right? And uh, just you were so adamant about never, and there you were four weeks back.
0: Back in the Big Apple. There you go. <laughs> I'll just tell the story very briefly. When I was there in late August, it was a stressful couple of days. I had a headache the entire time I was there. I wasn't even there. I was there 24 hours. And I was miserable almost the entire time I was there. So when I got home, and it just it was a different feel. It was angry. It was gritty. It just it feels crime-ridden. I just, it's just nothing like I'd ever experienced in Manhattan. So when I got home, I said, I'm never going back. Now, when I went back to the studio for the first time in a very long time, the preferred Rockefeller hotel- Rockefeller Plaza,
1: you're talking about? Yeah. Okay. Are you talking about our well, When I went back yeah. to the yeah. studio,
0: yeah, for this weekend- Right, right. The preferred hotel location in Greenwich, not to be confused with old Greenwich, where all the rich people and Chris Sims live, <laughs> but that hotel wasn't available- So I I know that there's some others and I don't want to defame any of them, but not my style, not my tempo. Uh, So I I just decided to stay. And you said to me, just stay in New York. Oh, I was saying, stay at
1: the nicest hotel possible. Stay (laughs) at the one that's 2000 a night. They didn't make a damn reservation for you in time, you know, stick it up NBC's butt and give them a nice little, you know, check to pay or a, a receipt to pay.
0: I didn't quite go that far. Uh nothing was inserted anywhere, but I did I did uh stay at the hotel that I'm comfortable with in New York City. So I was back in New York City did the show yesterday morning and I had a much more enjoyable experience in large part because I like only left the room to go get in the car to go to the studio on Sunday got out of the car back at the hotel and walked to 30 Rock. So I really didn't get it. But
1: you were late for it too. You were late night? for our 12 o'clock meeting on Sunday for the pregame show. I just like to state well, that listen, to
0: everybody. Listen, <laughs> listen, ass face, you're late every week. And and I had an excuse. I couldn't get somebody off the phone so I could get in the shower so I could get out the door at 11. So I got out the door at 11.15. So I got to Stanford at 12.15. All right. Uh, we need to take a break. No, we do have time for this segment. <laughs> Regret meter, scale of one to ten. Ten being the highest, Chris. So we're on the same page. It's very important that we that we understand the rules here. Let's go with some of the decisions from week three that uh folks would I probably said week two earlier now that I'm thinking about it. Week three, my calendar is messed up. Kyle Shanahan on the play that resulted in Jimmy Garoppolo stepping out of the end zone and giving the Broncos a two-point safety. Here's Shanahan on that specific decision that he made to call that play.
2: That was a tough situation I put him in. Um, that unblocked guy coming. Um, wish we'd had time for the big play and could have ditched it. Um, but it was a tough situation I put him in.
0: in. A tough situation, and Garoppolo did step out of the back of the end zone. Now, I don't like the things that I've seen from people that this somehow – Excuses Dan Orlovsky or supplants Dan Orlovsky. Look, all Garoppolo did was step on the white line and throw the ball. Orlovsky ran through the thick of the white stripe for five strides before he even realized he was out of bounds. Jared Allen was pointing at him and laughing, and he still didn't realize what he was doing. Well, but you know, yeah. this is what happens. You got to be careful with plays like this, Chris. It, it, when you're down in your own end, you got to be careful with that. No, no doubt about it. You know, they're
1: they're they're trying to take a shot here. You know, but like regretometer, I mean, I'm I'm gonna give it. I, I mean, well. As far as like where Kyle Shanahan should be there, you know, I don't know. I don't think it was the worst call. It's second and 10 on the two yard line. You got a quarterback that's played a million games. He should know where the end zone is 12 yards behind the line of scrimmage. He should know. Uh, So, I I mean, that's where like his regret meter should be four. You know, unfortunately, he's got a quarterback who can do and reminded us that he can do some like. Just dumb things. He reminded us all of why they've been in the quarterback market for the last three years. In that game, he everybody who was like, "Oh, Jimmy G's gonna be back." We were like, "Oh, wait, that's why they drafted Trey Lance. That's why they tried to trade for Matthew Stafford." Some of the things he did in that football game reminded us all. So, I mean, he he yeah, Shanahan calls a play. It wasn't like that risky. And the guy made a nice play and broke through the line of scrimmage. And then you got to be able to expect your quarterback who's played in championship games in a Super Bowl, that he's not going to go out of the back of the end zone. And then what's worse is with the part that didn't count the fact that he just was going to throw it into Randy Gregory's hands. And it was going to be an interception if he didn't step out of bounds. So uh, I'm giving it a four from Shanahan, but maybe you have to readjust that scale when you have Jimmy G as your quarterback.
0: That's what I'm gonna say. Okay, six. (laughs) It's six because he's got to account for the Jimmy G meathead. I get you're right. 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 I mean, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, and I know people people are gonna uh, send me emails saying I'm being mean to Jimmy G. He's a meathead. Yeah, he is. Yeah, that's well established. Dead from the neck up, meathead, as Archie Bunker (laughs) said to his future son-in-law years ago but I mean he <laughs> does right. dumb shit he does and, and I mean he does so you got to factor that in we're gonna call this play hey hey uh hey Kyle there's a chance that the quarterback's gonna you know step on the white stripe we need to factor that into this play call and he did I I guarantee you this Chris in the future if they're in that situation they'll factor in the possibility that Jimmy G's gonna run out of the back of the end zone yeah
1: you're right you're right I mean it's they he'll have to it's just amazing that he's got to with a guy that's played as much and you know, should be very comfortable within that offense and everything. But, yeah, I mean, I think you said it right. And, man, there was a few other plays in the game that were meatheadish as well. You know, they, we showed them. I mean, Chris Collinsworth did a great job the one time of showing Debo Samuel running up the right sideline. I mean, that was a game plan play against the coverage and had to be the first read and doesn't throw it. I mean, just, yes, yeah, so, uh, damn. 49ers got it all. They just can't get this damn quarterback thing right, and it is the problem that keeps just giving the organization an issue.
0: Lions-Vikings. Dan Campbell was rolling the dice on fourth down, Ah. and it was working until it didn't. He went for it fourth and one late in the game. It didn't work. The Vikings got the ball back, but then the Lions got the ball again. They had a fourth and four. They opted for a field goal. It was a lengthy try, 54 yards, I believe. Uh, just make sure I'm right there. Yes, right. Austin Cyber to yep. 54-yarder, no good. Here's Dan Campbell, coach of the Lions, on his potential regret for opting for that field goal with 114 to play.
1: As far as I, for me, I, I freaking regret my decision there at the end. I should have gone for it fourth down and – uh You know, I told the team that, I should have gone for it. I just, I I hate it. I just hate the decision. I wish I'd have put it back in their hands offensively, and so be it, you know. Um, Just wish I would have done that. I regret that decision 100%. I really do, Dave. I I hate it, and uh, I do feel like I cost our team. I really do, man.
0: Here's what happens when you try the long field goal. You snap the ball from the Minnesota 36. You're up. Three points. Uh, You're trying to ice it. But if you miss it, the Vikings get it at the spot of the kick. That was a rule change they made some 30, 35, 40 years ago. It used to be you got the ball where it was snapped. They changed it to the spot of the kick. That puts more skin in the game for the team that's trying the long field goal, especially if there's time left afterward. So the Vikings get the ball at the 44, down three points. They drive down the field. They score the touchdown, win the game 28-24. And here's what I think: If Dan Campbell is going to self scout himself, yeah, here. I mean, I'll yeah. say that I'll say the regret meter. All things considered, and this is a broader regret meter, not just in that moment, but I think his decision in that moment was influenced by his decisions on fourth down earlier in the game. You're right. I think it's a nine here, and look, he's basically put it at twelve by looking at his quotes. Yeah. But Chris, what I think he did, and this is where you have to be very careful. I'm a firm believer in factoring analytics into all of your decisions and that there are a lot of different factors that go into play here. But I have a feeling that Dan Campbell allowed himself to be influenced by the fact that they were, they were converting fourth downs. It's almost like the, the guy at the dice table and the dice are hot. I'm going to keep rolling them, and I'm going to keep rolling them. And so he rolled them on the fourth and one play earlier in the quarter, and they didn't get it. Right. And I think that caused him to shy away from it and err on the side of kicking the field goal when he should have ignored it. My point is this. Every fourth down decision stands alone. How you fared earlier in the game on fourth down should never be considered. The circumstances now are all that should be considered. And I feel like like the guy at the dice table, he's thinking, hey, how are we doing on fourth down? Oh, we're doing well. Let's do it again. And I don't think you should let that creep into your brain. right?
1: I, 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 I hear you. I mean, I, I, there, there's a lot of what I agree with you there. And, and maybe where I, I guess I, I'll, I'll differ. I, I agree, I think, with your overall premises to where, you know, you're right first off individual situation, or if that's your approach for the game, then just go with it. You know, I do think, he, I do think he was influenced you're right by the fact that he didn't get it on the, the fourth and one, the drive before. And I also think he was, you know, earlier in the game, right? The game was 14 to seven. They did it at midfield, gave the Vikings back short field, 14, 14 game because of that decision. But I mean, they were four for six total, right? You know, on fourth down. So the game, Again, if you decide going into the game, wait, this is the kind of game we're gonna play and we're gonna go with it because I don't trust our defense which he probably shouldn't because it hasn't been very good in the two weeks, then go with that decision. you know to me like where if that's the kind of game we're gonna play and and I know it's tough especially when you you didn't convert the last one but hey you're four for five you you're, you're what we're four for six at that point. Who the hell said you were going to go six or six anyways? If that's what it is, you're still, you know, batting a pretty nice percentage there. And I just would say, ride your instinct of what you did through the rest of the game, is I guess what I'm trying to say. And then, you know, to your point, realize that, wait, ah, man, our defense, I've seen them bend before. They went down and scored earlier, you know, in the quarter and, and did it pretty easily, I'm a little scared there in that situation with those players and and who they got on the offensive side of the ball with Minnesota, so I'm with you like I'll put it in an eight two just because um yeah, I think it, you know overall it's a tough decision, but it didn't make sense for the mantra of the game you know and what they did you know throughout the day
0: and it was fourth and four, not fourth and one right right and and look if you if I I I hate to think that we just regard a fifty-four yard field goal as automatic. I know I, um, know. I know. But but we kind of assume a guy's gonna make a fifty-four yarder in a dome. But but you know, the reality is they would have only been up six points anyway. They were giving the ball back to the Vikings even if they made That's the right. kick. That's the other side of this. No doubt. The Vikings still have a chance to drive down the field and win it by a point. It's not icing the game. Um you ice the game if you get the first down. They may have had – I don't know how many timeouts the Vikings had at that moment, but uh, you're in a better position to secure the victory when you're up 24-21 if you go for it there and get it. And then the Vikings, who had had the opportunity to try to do something with the ball after the Lions went for it on fourth and one and failed and got nowhere. nothing, right. They, they, they finally turned it around. They got it. It just was a weird game. It felt like a game the Vikings lost. Even when I see the final score, it feels like they lost and should have lost that game because the Lions really were better – most of the day. All right, here's Devonte Adams. He had a better run in Green Bay by far than he's had so far in Las Vegas. The Raiders, the only 0-3 team in the AFC. Here's Adams talking about his new team's not so great start.
2: Frustrated and angry. Expect and more. I mean, it's, it's not easy to win in this league, so we know that, and we. You know, nobody's naive to the fact that it's, it's not. Nobody's just going to lay down and just give you a victory. But at the end of the day, we, we expect more, and we we'll we'll, we'll do it better as we move forward.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's you're frustrated and angry, whether you were on the team for ten years or just showed up. Everybody's frustrated and angry, Chris. We talk about this all the time. It's something you told me about years ago. How that pressure increases, intensifies in the building with each additional loss. When you have no wins. And it's going to be even worse for them this week. Until they get that win, it's going to keep ratcheting up. And they're in the AFC West. And good luck getting a wild card in the AFC. How many losses before you're disqualified? You're already halfway to six. Uh, Seven, eight. One of those two is too many to get to the postseason. So uh, how much regret should he have, given what he said, and given where they currently are? What is his regret meter 1-10 to for leaving the Packers and signing with the Raiders. Well, it,
1: it's, it is getting dicey, to your point. I mean, it is. You're, you're right. The AFC, we know it's talented. The pressure in that building has got to be you know, palpable, right? I mean, it's a new head coach. That always adds more pressure to it. You want to get your owner and the new, the new organization that first win and kind of get off the schneid there. Like, there's two answers to this. You know, there's the big picture answer for Devontae Adams and then right now, like the regret-o-meter for this year right at this moment is going to be high. I mean, it's it's probably 10. Yeah, you left Green Bay, a team that's, you know, definitely one of the better teams in the NFC. And it would be shocking if they didn't get into the playoffs and and weren't like a, you know, a major player that way. you know, overall though, regretometer with the Aaron Rodgers situation and where that goes, you know, I think the big picture, it's a far less number. So this year, where it might be an eight or nine in the regretometer, meter, like as far as it pertains to maybe the next three or four years, I think it might you know be a lot lower in that situation, to where it maybe down to a three or four. But yeah, this year he's going to have to take his lumps. He is. He's going to watch Green Bay win a lot of games, and he's going to look at his own team, and they're going to be in strugglesville for the most of the year.
0: I think it's low on both counts. You do? Because he's where he's where he wanted to be. Yeah, okay. He's paid. And, yeah, we're 0-3. So what? I mean, I'm frustrated and angry by the team, but my personal situation is still better. I'm with the guy that I wanted to play with, assuming Carr will be there next year. Who knows? <laughs> the way things are going, who knows? But but I, I think that, it's too early for him to have any regret whatsoever about the decision he made. You can be frustrated and angry about your circumstances and not regret the decision that put you in those circumstances, because one of the risks you assume when you jump from the Packers to the Raiders is at least in the short term, the record's not going to be as good as the Packers and you're going to struggle to win. And it's not like they had easy games right out of the gate. So I think they'll be fine. He'll be fine. And bottom line is he got to play where he wanted to play and he got a huge contract and he gets to be with his old friend, Derek Carr. Here's Brandon Staley, head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers, on the decision to let quarterback Justin Herbert play despite having fractured rib cartilage.
2: He wanted to be out there with his teammates. Um, he felt good, um, and he wanted to finish the game. He wanted to you know, give our group um, some energy, um, and you know, we were going to protect him there at the end with you know, really sound protection as best we could, but um, you know, it was more about you know, him wanting to finish with his guys.
0: Franchise quarterback, is there at some
2: point as the coach you need to step in and say you already have a significant For injury? Sure. For sure. Yeah, we uh, um, believe me, um, throughout the entire game that's the first thought throughout the game and at the end of the game. And so um, trust me, uh, there's no one that's thinking about it more than I am. Well, why take that risk then? If that's if that's at the front of your mind and it's that important, why, why take the risk of having in there? Daniel, that was just the decision that we made and it was about us finishing that game as a team and it was important to us that we did it.
0: Now he addressed there, not just the decision to let him play, but the decision to keep him in the game when it's 38 to 10, yeah. all hope is lost. You got a guy with fractured rib cartilage. He had a, a, some sort of a, a highly detailed ultrasound guided Dr. Needle experience to allow him to play. Look, I think the regret should be a 10 for how that was handled start to finish. The decision to let him play itself, low. The decision to leave him in there, high. And I I got a ton of respect for Brandon Staley, and I know in the moment when your franchise quarterback refuses to come out, you got to ask yourself, what damage am I doing to the relationship with the quarterback if I yank him out of the game and tell him to sit his ass on the bench? But at some point, there's got to be a personality on the sideline big enough to speak to even the quarterback and say sit your ass on the bench. At some point, his ass needed to be sat on the bench, Chris. I don't.
1: I don't disagree with that. I mean, at the end of the game there, I, I was certainly one going. Why? Why have him in the game? Why take the risk? But I also think that's why the regretto meter for starting him and playing him should be low, at least in my opinion, because yes. obviously. You know, there he was, and I think with Brand I mean, it, I, I'm i guessing Justin Herbert wanted to really be out there and finish the game with the rest of the team, to the point where he wasn't so like, oh my gosh, yeah, it's all right, coach. Yeah, just play the backup. We're down 38-10. to 10. It wasn't like that, you know? So that's where, you know, we don't know that personal conversation that way. I have no problem with him playing the game and starting the game, that's for sure. You know, again, it's uncomfortable. We know that. It ain't going away anytime soon. I didn't watch plays or throws and go, oh, wow, he's really hurting every time he throws the ball. I'm sure it hurt when he got hit and all that. And, yes, certainly you can, you know, aggravate it. But I understand him playing the football game. I mean, he is the Chargers. He is the go-to guy. You know, and he's just, he wants to play that's why we love him he's that kind of special guy he's going to get out there no matter what so the regretometer to play him i think should be like 1 i mean yeah it's go time but the end of the game thing is certainly a different conversation. But, yeah, I got to think that Brandon Staley is smart enough to know the, the 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 factual findings and the things that you're talking about. And there had to be a conversation with Herbert who was probably adamant about staying in the game and, and at least finishing. I would at least think so.
0: Right. But low to let him play, high to let him stay. Yeah. I think yeah. that's, okay in my mind, the right assessment. Because even if he's healthy, there's a point where you get him the hell out of the game. I agree. That's when right. When it's 38 to 10. Right. You don't want him to get hurt if he's 100%. And if he's not 100%, you want to keep him at whatever percent he's, he's at. All right. Uh, speaking of Justin Herbert, we will dive into the, the latest rash. of What a shock. Chargers football players are injured. We'll give you the latest <laughs> when PFT Live presented by Google Pixel continues right after this. There are the Chargers that are currently injured. Keenan Allen entered the game this weekend. He's had that hamstring injury for a while now. Justin Herbert we knew about, but some new ones. And, look, Joey Bosa, groin injury. He could be out for a while. Rashawn Slater, torn biceps, out for the year. Jalen Guyton, Chargers receiver, tears in ACL in garbage time. J.C. Jackson had that ankle problem. You know, Chris... I've said this before, specifically in relation to the Chargers. At some point, it's not bad luck. At some point, it's bad training, bad flexibility, bad nutrition, bad whatever. And when you watch all those games and you see guys get twisted up in knots and they jump up and they're fine, at some point, it isn't just stuff happens at some point you've got deeper flaws in your organization when it comes to getting your players in the best possible condition to perform and to withstand getting injured when they are playing it can't just be bad luck when it's happening for the chargers every year over and over and over again
1: yeah I, i'm like I, I mean i'm with you i mean i'm certainly you know skeptical or you know wonder what goes on the fact that they kind of have to deal with this all the time And I think something has to do probably with even the type of players they get in general. I don't know. There there could be a lot of things here, you know. Maybe not paying attention to the injury injury history quite close enough when they come out of the draft, you know. Maybe not paying attention or not knowing enough about free agency and their injury history. There's a little of that, you know. Let alone they got some guys that you know guys that we like to watch play football that are kamikaze. But we know, like, when you have those kamikaze teams that's like, hey, coach says run through the wall and I just do it, hey, that's it's, going to lead to... Sometimes somebody- the wall wins. Exactly. Sometimes the-, the wall wins. That's what I mean. You got guys like Derwin James or Joey Bosa who know no different of, like, I just go. That That's, that's the, the risk of having those type of players. It is. So, I think there could be a lot that goes into that conversation, certainly, but damn... I mean, it is, It is, Mike. I mean, to your point, it's unbelievable. It really is. And these are marquee players, game changers. And then, the, you know, you worry about the offensive linemen, especially because Herbert's dealing with the, the rib issues, and they're not a very good running team to begin with when they were healthy. It's going to be on the right arm of Herbert. So now they got to deal with trying to protect him without – Two of the better players at their position in the league. I mean, Corey Lindsey is one of the better centers in football. Rashawn Slater is definitely in that conversation for best pass-protecting left tackle in the NFL. So, man, they're big blows to uh, the, the Charger team to try to manage this situation here as you know, best they can, and we'll see where it goes. They're a beat-up football team.
0: How quickly a great vibe to start the season right? can change. They beat the Raiders Week One. They have the Thursday night short week game with the Chiefs. Almost pull that off, and then they get obliterated by so, the Jaguars. So have all these injuries now.
1: Well, and so like to to this is this, to me this to me is a great conversation here because this might be also something we talk about. You know, first off, you're right. Like even after the loss, right? There was a great taste in their mouth against Kansas City. We we're still going. Damn, they look good. They looked the part. I'm not sure they weren't the better team on the field really that night. You know, but then, oh, wait, now you lose this game, but here's the, there 's the other point too, Mike, that I just wanted to make, and i 'm glad you kind of went there because i 've gotten this written down oh wait, but but you know they won 't attribute any of these injuries to the fact that maybe they played that Thursday night game four days you know in a row, right, so here they are the week after they 're beat up, oh, it didn 't happen on Thursday night. Well, you know, who knows? Maybe the wear and tear of that game so early in the season, it's just something I think about as a player because I'm always thinking about protecting players that way. But, I, you know, I, I do think it's something to look for. It's maybe not that Thursday game. It's the week after. It's the wear and tear of the four games and then the accumulation that lead up to this that maybe wears them out and gets them hurt for this game.
0: And I agree with you there. You know, when we hear the injury rate data get quoted by the NFL about Thursday night games, it's an apples to apples. What is the rate of injury on Thursday night versus any other day of the week? It's not nearly that simple. You're right. You've got the shorter week that forces a guy to play before he's maybe fully recovered and does that linger into the next week. And there are more factors that go into it. I I don't disagree with you there. But with the Chargers, I just think that there's a deeper issue in the organization. I hear you. At some point, at some point, and again, I love Brandon Staley. He's got to get it turned around because they're going to be on Sean Payton watch before too long. There's going to be teams that are in Sean Payton mode as we get closer and closer to Thanksgiving and into December because we know the factors. And, in fact, at some point, I think it was Barry Jackson, the Miami Herald, reported that the Chargers were one of the teams that he'd be interested of in. Of course. Why wouldn't you be? Warm weather. Right. You got Justin, Justin Herbert Justin Herbert, Right. My God. And I could see Peyton walking through the door there. And I'm not trying to start anything here, but I'm just, I'm just analyzing the situation. I could see Peyton walking through the door saying, hey, we got to revamp training staff, strength and conditioning, Cause this is why, hey, hey, uh, Spanos's. This is why you have all those injuries. You got people telling you it's bad luck. Bull crap. It ain't bad luck. It's bad organization. It's bad flexibility. Bad, bad practice nutrition. habits. Who knows? Right? Exactly. Right.
1: Yep. You're right. It's definitely. And and you know, you're, Mike, you're not being wrong. I mean, Sean Payton's gonna be the guy that hovers over everybody this year. I mean, he is going to be the damnedest, shiniest, brightest object in the world for a lot of these owners that are thinking about making a coaching change. And especially if they have a quarterback like Justin Herbert and add that to the fact that the, the, you know, framework of that offense has been laid down already because there's a Sean Payton ex coach there in and, and with the chargers. So Yes, I mean, you know, all these guys are going to have to deal with Sean Payton in that situation and the pressure of that, and Brandon Staley have to block it out, but you're, you're right, there's there's something going on there with the Chargers.
0: Payton made it clear himself last week, making the rounds, you know, as part of his media gig. He'll come back in the right circumstance, and I think he will be back next year. The question is, who's going to make the move behind the scenes? All the stuff that isn't supposed to happen, that happens all the time, who's going to set this up behind the scenes before we even get to the end of the season, because I guarantee you somebody will. Let's take a break. Were the Buccaneers supposed to have more time on that pivotal delay of game penalty that pushed back their two-point conversion try from the two to the seven? More PFT Live presented by Google Pixel right after this. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers took a crucial delay of game penalty on a two-point conversion at the end of the game against the Packers on Sunday. Coach Todd Bowles wants an answer on why they were given 20 seconds and not 25. Here is what he had to say.
2: Well, I just hope they had to, you know, one time it said 25, the next time it said 20. We're looking into it right now. We'll send it in and see what they say. Uh, But we got to get the ball off. We got to be cognizant of that. As a unit, we've played enough ball to where we know we got to get the ball snapped.
0: When he first was explaining that, I'm thinking, I was like, well, at one point it said 25 seconds, and five seconds later it said 20. We're trying to figure out how that happened, but I don't think that's the point he was. I don't think that's the point he was making. You know, when they do this, you know, we see that from time to time. That's what puts the clock at 25, and it's always 25. Why would it be anything but 25? Here's one thing they can't blame, Chris. They can't blame that the clock operator, you know, is favorable to the home team because they were the home team.
1: Well, it well, wasn't there, there was stoppage anyways in between the plays there, right? To where they still had plenty of time. I mean, there was a penalty called and, and there was still time after the play. So, I mean, the play originally, first off, let's just hit the X's and O's part. It was a huge point of the game. We know that. It, can we pause it right here if we can for a second? Just because when you look at it right here, you know, this is what it took away. It took away their ability to call two different plays, right? Because right here, I think they had a pass play called. Brady, after the motion, checked. And they're gonna run a run play because Green Bay, the middle linebacker who's on the bottom of the A in the end zone, the Buccaneers, he's shaded over at the left guard because he's gonna try to help double the slot receiver, or he's covering the the running back man-to-man there. Either way, but because of this, Brady sees. Wait, we got a little spot here over the right guard through our game planning where they're gonna try to stop the pass play. We got a soft spot. We're gonna be able to run the ball. They get the penalty. They don't get the chance to run run this type of play. They have to pass it from the seven-yard line. That certainly hurt their football team. That would have been interesting right there. I mean, that play was designed the right way and looked like it would have been successful.
0: And you're right. You get knocked back five yards, and it's not like you can run it from the seven. Uh, so they throw the ball, and it doesn't work out. Game over. Uh, Packers win. I need to go back and watch that full exchange slowly. And remember, Aaron Rodgers said something after the game to Tom Rinaldi about picking up something from the video board. I still don't quite know what he was talking about. I have a feeling he'll tell Pat McAfee all about it later today, and we'll get the details on what they saw on the video board. At first, when I listened to it, I thought it had something to do with the play clock running out on the on the Buccaneers' On the play that led to the touchdown and maybe they told the officials to watch it but it felt like it was something more than that it felt like they picked up something really rare and really good by looking at what the home team was putting on the video board I don't know maybe the people working the clock and working the video board were secretly Packers fans on Sunday maybe maybe there was some home cooking just for the road team
1: well it, it is I, I gotta think it's something more than just the play clock right I mean I know Todd Bowles made a he made some comments about how they were going to have a meeting and look into it and whatever it is he was talking about. But, all right. So, wait. Here, here here's the the this is what i wanted to get back to let's get to this first a sec like this is what I, this is how i understood it and why they really had more time mike and go ahead you want to read this just to explain this to the the listeners this out is there from the
0: football zebras account following a touchdown the 42nd clock runs as soon as the touchdown signal was dropped if replay had not confirmed the score the play clock will hold at 20 right they had more time on the ready to play right so they had time but on the ready to play that's why it's 20 and not 25 that's the explanation teams are well aware of this mechanic and yes. it's been in place for a few years so that's the idea they took a look at it so they had more time baked in but the ready for play was 20 instead of 25 and that's one of those where you got to know that's a head coach you got to Brady you would think they would know those type of details right there when when you when you say that out loud you make people who understand the details say <laughs> You know, this is this is part of your job to know, part of Brady's job to know. Right. Now, Todd Bowles hasn't been a coach, head coach for a few years, and he's a defensive coach, not an offensive coach, so maybe that's a nuance that's lost on him. It shouldn't be now. It's definitely not a nuance that should be lost on Tom Brady, who's been playing quarterback continuously through whatever period of time they made that change.
1: Yeah. No, that's right. It's just a, one of those, you know, things you just go, uh, you don't see Brady or – you know, coaches, even with Todd Bowles' experience, Byron Leftwood, as smart as they are, they, you know, the Bucks usually don't make those type of mistakes. And then, you know... And Chris, th- Chris, yeah.
0: no matter what, the clock is there. Right, right. You it's saw ticking. it. It's ticking. He yes. sees it. Right. Exactly and now, right. Now, maybe, they, maybe, the, maybe the crowd needs to chant in Tampa like they do in Denver. I don't know. Well, and then... Maybe that's what they need to do at you Raymond know, James Stadium. You Five, know, right? Five, four, three... <laughs> It's embarrassing. Uh, it's right there. I know. Whether it's 20, 25, 15, 10, whatever, Tom Brady, the great and powerful Tom Brady, can see it with his eyes right in front of his face. Now, now, look, he was distracted because he's trying to read the defense. I mean, right. there's a lot going on for a quarterback. There even is. the greatest of all time, it just shows you, no, no doubt. Even the goat, even the goat, can can uh, you know make a mistake from time to time. Hard as that may be to believe. But let's take a break. Okay. Speaking of goats, ah, perfect segue. Goats in a bad way. There we go. Chris's favorite segment of the week, week three. Goats in a bad way. When PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after this. I'm going
1: to the game Monday night. That's that's what I'm really excited, Mike. I have not been to a Giants game in probably over 20 years. In about 20 years. So, and my kids have never been to a game. And I bought tickets, and we are sitting in some good seats, and I can't wait. So it's going to be really cool.
0: I just want to be sure that I'm not going to get a text at six in the morning that I have to mobilize Shireen or Miles or Peter. I'm hungover. I've been
1: tailgating with the Giants fans. We we gave Jerry the middle finger on the buses the way out. (laughs) It was awesome, Mike. I can't make it to the show.
0: That's a hell of a finger puppet there, <laughs> with uh, oh. the Eli. That's great. It's the Eli. That's even better. Oh, it is even Eli better. did it live last year. That is Chris Sims, not Eli Manning, with his finger somewhere inserted inside Jerry Jones. Goats in a bad way for Week Three of the 2022 NFL season. Good that you made it for the program. You get to go take a nap soon. I know. I I'm think going I am to gonna. I'm, still, yeah. I'm I'm recovering from the weekend and the travel and all that. But let's do. Let's finish strong. Let's finish strong, baby. Let's not be goats in a bad way as we do the goats in a bad way draft. You're up. No, I I won't be goats in a bad way. All right. So the, the, the first thing is,
1: Jerry, like where I was sitting, his box, the owner's box was right there. So they were, you know, he was getting yelled at all night long, especially when the Cowboys were losing. Jerry's funny, too. 'Cause he likes to like be very subtle and give it back to the crowd a little too. He's really good. He really is. At one point, Giants fans were talking to him, Cowboys had just take the lead and he was giving them the old like you know, the the the, the pucker kiss they doing that. I mean, it was really funny. I had a fun time watching Jerry last night. All right, but either way, did you heckle
0: him at all? You could have yelled some things. No, nah, I know. I didn't yell anything.
1: I was, I was nice. I, I tried to act professional. All right, and and set a good example for my kids. Um. All right, so. First one, I mean, goats in a bad way, I'm going to a whole unit here, as you know I love to do, but the Washington Commanders offensive line. When you want to talk about sucky-ducky, let's start with them for the week because that was sucky-ducky. I mean, poor Carson Wentz. Hey, I'd like to, you know, show up my old team and, you know – you know, put on a good show here and, and you know, stick it to them a little bit. He had no chance. He really didn't. I mean, it was constant pressure, constant stepping up in the pocket like you see here, never really being able to get in a rhythm or feeling comfortable in the game at all. So, uh the Washington Commanders offensive line, stinky, horrible, poor Carson Wentz. Eagles had a lot of fun partying at Carson Wentz in this game.
0: I said this yesterday. I thought it was funny after the game. Carson Wentz said it's not the offensive line's fault that he got sacked nine times. Like, yeah, he's going to say that because he doesn't want to get sacked 18 times next
1: week. (laughs) Seriously, right. I mean, uh, it could have been another handful of sacks for
0: sure. Did not go well. I'm going to go with, and I don't know whether to say Jimmy Garoppolo or Kyle Shanahan, so I'll say both because, Mm. look, this whole roundabout Jimmy Garoppolo's on the team, not on the team, is on the team. I mean, he missed all of August. As I said yesterday, he basically had a free gym membership with the 49ers organization. He was showing up, working out on his own, not connected to the team at all, not prepared at all, and he made some comments after the game suggesting that eh, even though he said these aren't excuses, he made all of his excuses as to why he didn't play well. So even though it looked like a stroke of genius when it all worked out and they didn't trade him and they kept him in a much lower contract, he's still not as ready as he would have been if they would have figured out a better plan before We got to this late August, whatever the hell they decided to do. But also, it's on Jimmy G. And, Chris, we didn't talk about this earlier. We talked about some of his mistakes. Yeah. The one to me that was the killer, and this is the classic Jimmy G, not really obvious screw-up, but still a pretty big screw-up. On that third-and-three play where Debo Samuel cuts to the inside and he's open Yes, in stride, he's gone. I don't know how far he goes but he at least gets the first down and then some and Jimmy Garoppolo throws it so far behind him the guy who is struggling to keep up with him almost picks it off and it was a it was a little I was a throw I could make that's how easy of a throw it is and he just flat out missed him how can you do that between running out of the end zone and everything else he did but that was the moment where it doesn't scream out to you game changer but when you look at the circumstances and what was going on in the game then? If he makes that very easy throw, they very likely win. I, I, I don't
1: disagree, Mike. There's there's a few moments in the game where we could go back. And I have a similar feeling with Buffalo, you know, against Miami, certainly. have a similar feeling with Kansas City. could lay it out there and just go, look, I mean, they kind of controlled the game. And here's six moments where they're going to put the other team in a really tough spot and it's going to be an issue, and they couldn't take advantage of it. And it wasn't just because they go, oh, well, those, it was because of the other team and they made a great play or whatever. No, it was like, wait, like you're saying, here's a wide-open completion to the best receiver in football or one of the best receivers in all. All you got to do is just put it in the area code, but it's not even close, let alone, like we talked about earlier, Mike, we had the play that Collinsworth showed where Debo's running up the right sideline. The play's for him. It's, I, I don't need to touchdown. talk to Shan, It's touchdown. touchdown. How about the other one where he's going up the left sideline on Josie Jewell and has to turn around and catch it backpedaling and catch it like a punt? You know, those are Another plays. Touchdown. Right. People are going to look at it and go, well, that was a good completion. Look at his stats. And I'm going to go, no, that stunk. That should have been 70 yards and six points. And instead it was nothing. So that's where, you know, to your point, yes, it's shocking at times that that he could do stuff like that. Yeah, give me your next one quickly. All right, Mac Jones. Mac Jones, I'm going there. I feel bad because the guy got hurt, but Mac like made some critical errors in the football game. He did a lot of good things. But the interception in the red zone, the interception down the middle to Josh Bynes at one point there, were huge big points of the game. The last one I'm not going to put totally on him. He's got to press the issue, but just not used to seeing him be careless or a New England quarterback doing that for, for that matter.
0: I'm going Tom Brady. I mean, sometimes the goat can be a goat. And yeah. we talked about this last segment, but at the end of the day, and Todd Bowles said this yesterday, even though he's confused about the mechanic that resulted in 20 seconds, not 25, Tom Brady is the one who's in charge of making sure the play gets called. And maybe he flew a little too close to the sun on wings of pastrami by trying to get that thing lined up and decide which play. To... But you have to be aware of the ticking of the clock. And that, that was a, a, a game altering decision and failure by him to get that playoff sometimes the most basic things need to be taken care of even by the greatest players of all time let's take a break round three of goats in a bad way when pft live presented by google pixel continues right after this All right, Goats in a Bad Way, round three for week three. Chris, what do you got? All right, I'm going to go with my boy Blue here. All right, there's some other Uh ones that are out there. Uh Yeah, Uh but I'm going to do it. Uh
1: I'm going to show that I'm capable and I'm not biased, right? My boy Blue is the man. I mean, to me, certainly Lamar, him, they're the the hottest quarterbacks in the game. I know Jalen Hurts has been really good and Tua has been really good, but the whole team is about Lamar and Josh Allen. They carry the squad. To miss the... The, the fourth down throw, right, the little out route to the right side. I mean, Josh Allen, we saw, what, almost every throw he made in that game was more difficult than that. So that was shocking. And then one other element where I don't know if he got confused with the rules, but not spiking the ball in the end of the first half, right, and the fact that they threw the ball out there. He bumbled the snap, and I don't know if he didn't think he could still spike it, but he could have. He throws it out to Stevon Diggs. They don't get the field goal. That obviously came back to bite them in the butt.
0: I'll go with, uh, and there are a bunch of Chiefs players and moments we could focus on. Yeah. But whatever Chris Jones said, and we still don't know what he said, but whatever he said to extend the game-winning drive, it had to have been bad enough Ugh. to get the referee who was standing right there to throw a flag, and who knows what it was. But in that moment, that gave the Colts the opportunity to win that game. I we like are that call. done. Thanks for some of your time. We'll see you on Wednesday morning. See ya.